Today is August 23rd, 2015. The title of our message today is Forward. Forward. Um, If you'll turn to Numbers chapter 2, we're going to start there. Numbers chapter 2, and as is our custom, we like to invite you to say there when you are there. I know some of us, we say it in faith, right? We're still turning there. Don't want to feel late. It's all right. We're getting there in faith. Amen. Not only do we want you to get there physically to the chapter, we encourage you to get very familiar with your Bible. You should love it. It has come to us with much blood, with much anguish, the fact that we can have multiple translations, multiple versions in our home. We don't want to ever take it for granted. But when we say there, we not only mean the physical place in the Bible, but we mean, hey, Lord, we're here. We're there in our heart. Whatever it is that you're about to tell us, Lord, we're ready. We're there. Numbers chapter 2, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, The Israelites are to camp around the tent of meeting some distance from it, each man under his standard. Everybody say standard. Standard. With the banners of his family. On the east, toward the sunrise, the divisions of the camp of Judah. Everybody say Judah. So what are we doing here? The entire book of Numbers, right? What what an interesting and exciting place to start in the Scripture today. Numbers. What is this doing? It's giving us where the tent of meeting, where the ark of God, where the tabernacle is going to be, and then what all of the tribes are going to do around this central point. (laughs) Everything in the Jewish culture was pointing towards them understanding the centrality of who God is in their life. The very way that they set up their camp. So on the east, everybody say on the east. It was Judah. And we see later on in verse 4, 74,600 people. Next, the tribe of Issachar, camp next to them, 54,400. Verse 7, the tribe of Zebulun, with 57,400. All the men assigned to the camp of Judah, according to their divisions, number 186,400. Pretty large group of people, Yes? 186,000, and that's just on one side. That's on the east side of where they had it set up. Just, we're going to paint a picture, so if you'll allow me to kind, of, to kind of get some of these details out, right? On the south. Everybody say, on the south. It's almost as if God has intention for people and where they're supposed to be, where they're supposed to camp, where they're supposed to stay, where they're supposed to face. Hmm. Verse 11. Uh, I'm sorry. On the south will be the divisions of the camp of Reuben. Verse 11, 46,500. Just skimming over it to give you an idea, right? Verse 12, the tribe of Simeon. Verse 13, 59,300. Verse 14, the tribe of Gad. Verse 15, 45,650. All of the men assigned to the camp of Reuben, according to their divisions, number 151,450. So there's three tribes that's going to be on each side of the tent of meeting. Three tribes. They're giving us numbers. They're letting letting us understand what's going on here. And each of these sides, there's a primary tribe. So on the east, they're just saying, it's Judah. And they give more specific. It's actually three tribes, but Judah is the lead tribe on the east. Which, by the way, is where the entrance of the tent of meeting is. We'll get more to that in just a second. On the south, we have the tribes of Reuben, right? Verse 17. Then the tent of meeting. So as they're leaving, there's an order. Judah will set out first, then Reuben, then the tent of meeting. They will set out in the same order as they encamp, each 
in His own place. Everybody say, own place. Under His standard. Everybody say, His standard. On the west will be the divisions of the camp of Ephraim under their standard. Next verse, 40,500. Then the tribe of Manasseh. Next verse, 32,200. Tribe of Benjamin. Next verse, 35,400. All the men assigned to their camp to the camp of Ephraim, according to their divisions, number 108,100. They will set out third. On the north, everybody say on the north. I'm just trying to make sure you're with me. I know it's a lot of numbers, right? Camps of Dan, 62,700. The tribe of Asher, 41,500. The tribe of Nathali, 53,400. All the men assigned to the camp of Dan, number 157,600. They will set out last under their standards. Verse 32. These are the Israelites... Counted according to their families. All those in the camps by their divisions, number 603,550. It's a pretty large town, isn't it? Pretty big city. That's a lot of people that we're talking about. The Levites, however, were not counted along with the other Israelites as the Lord had commanded. They had a different purpose. They had a different call. So the Israelites did everything the Lord commanded Moses. That is the way they encamped under the standards. And that is the way they set out, each with his clan and his family. Thank you for letting me walk through an entire chapter. We've got a little visual aid here that I'd like to show you. I think Pastor Eric has uh, the PowerPoint. Uh, no, it should be a picture. I'm sorry. Wait for it. Wait for it. So it's going to be a picture of what the tribes look like around this. There we go. Oh, you had to get fancy with it. I got you. Thank you, DJ. Aren't y'all glad that DJ's back? We miss DJ. So here's what it looks like when you, when you paint it out into a picture form. We have the tabernacle there. Those names inside the, the darker square. There's tabernacle. And right outside of that are actually the, the clans of the Levites and what they're doing around. You see where Moses and Aaron and their families stay. On the east, we have Judah. Now, the name of Judah means may he be praised. The praise of God. There's, a, there's, a, there's an animal there on the side of that. That is the traditional view. That is the traditional standard. If they're going to have a standard and a flag out there, we are very comfortable with Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So that's the lion. Down in the south, we have Reuben. The name Reuben means behold, a son. His standard was a man. In the west, we have Ephraim. The standard was an ox. His name means doubly blessed. In the north, where Dan is the lead, Dan means he that judges. And his standard is an eagle. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 1. Because we're talking about going forward. We're talking about going forward here. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse, we're going to start in verse 10. Ezekiel has this vision that's going on. We're going to come back and we're going to hang out in Ezekiel a little bit. So if you want to put a little marker there, we're going to come back here a few times today. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 10. Are you there? 
Their faces looked like this. Each one of the four living creatures had the face of a man. And on the right side, they had a face of a lion. On the left side, the face of an ox. And each also had the face of an eagle. Okay? If you're an Israelite, you hear this description from Ezekiel and you know exactly what it means. Because every day out in the wilderness for 40 years, this is the way that they establish themselves around the presence of God. The faces of each of these, they, they had, there were four faced creatures. Each of the four had the face of a man, and on the right side each had the face of a lion, and on the left the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Next verse says this, Sure, such were their faces. Their wings were spread out and upward. Each had two wings, one touching the wing of another creature. So they're wing to wing, right? And two wings covering its body. Verse 12, each one went straight ahead. Everybody say straight ahead. Wherever the Spirit would go, they would go without turning as they went. This idea of forward is what I really want to get to here in the next few minutes. And I hope that the Lord will give me the grace to be able to communicate something to you that I think is important for us. This is an idea I want you to understand. They went, they would go wherever the Spirit would go, they would go. That's, we can, that's a good preaching right there. Wherever the Spirit leads you, you go. Without turning as they went. I don't know about you guys, but there have been times in my life where I felt very discouraged because I wasn't going far enough according to what I felt. I wasn't going fast enough. I wasn't getting there. I don't know exactly where the there was that I was trying to get to, but I knew that where I was couldn't have been the there that I was supposed to be getting to was the feeling. I wasn't satisfied with where I was. So the idea, I was always trying to get somewhere, but then at times it felt like I had, if you ever, uh, for those of you who are salesmen, in the sales business, they call it, you had, ever had a deal that went sideways on you? Something happened and you're expecting it to do this and you're like, gee whiz, why am I over here? This lateral movement that happens. I thought I was going this way, but now I'm kind of all befuddled and I'm over here somehow. I don't even know how I got here. Or we feel like we're going backwards in the things of God. We feel like we're repeating ourselves. We feel like we've been punished and sent to the back of the line. I want to encourage you. If you don't get anything else today, I want you to get this one point. In Christ, with God at the center of our lives, any direction that He sends us is forward. It may not feel forward to me, but do you realize that He doesn't have to turn do you understand this? God doesn't have to turn. What does the Bible say in the book of James? That there is no shadow of turning. There's no hint that He needs to turn around to then focus attention somewhere else. I do. I am a male and I easily say that I can't focus on too many things at one time. And in my life when God is trying to direct me, I can feel kind of like things are going sideways on me. Where I'm not progressing the way that I thought that I should. But let me encourage you. As long as you're following where the Spirit would go, it's always forward. It's always forward in your life. Take a look at Revelation chapter 4. Hold your place in Ezekiel because we'll come back. Revelation chapter 4. Oh man, beat me, I like that. Revelation chapter 4 and let's start in verse 6.
Revelation 4, 6, And also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. Perhaps these are some of the same folks that we just read about in Ezekiel. We get a little bit more clarity now, and we understand that they are literally around the throne. In this picture, they're right around the throne. And they were covered with eyes and in front and in back. It's a little weird, huh? A little strange to think of a creature completely covered in eyes. It's almost as if God can see everything at once that He needs to see. It's almost as if nothing is ever going to sneak up on Him and bother Him. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Their job in the heavenly realm, their daily task for all of eternity is to sing about God's holiness. When we sing it here, what we're trying to do is saying, God, we agree with the reality that's there. I'm not going to try to lower what your standard is because I don't like it because I don't understand. I see your standard. I'm just going to try to come up to that. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 10. Ezekiel chapter 10. Verse 9. I looked and I saw beside the cherubim four wheels, one beside each of the cherubim. The wheels sparkled like crystallite. As for their appearance, the four of them looked, like, looked alike. Each was like a wheel intersecting a wheel. We're going to get another verse that talks about this here in just a second. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the cherubim faced. The wheels did not turn about as the cherubim went. The cherubim went in whatever direction the head faced without turning as they went. Uh, then skip down to verse 20. These are the living creatures I had seen beneath the God of Israel by the Kabar River. And I realized that they were cherubim. Each had four wings and four wings. Uh, each had four faces and four wings. And under their wings was what looked like the hands of a man. Their faces had the same appearance as though it I had seen by the Kabar River. Each one went straight ahead. Now turn back to Ezekiel chapter 1. Just laying some groundwork here. In Ezekiel chapter 1, starting back in verse 1, let's, let's start it from the beginning of the chapter. In the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. <laughs> Something struck me as I was reading this passage, just kind of um, meditating on it. While I was among the exiles. I think as believers, that's always the way we're going to feel. I think we're always, maybe should feel like a bit of an exile where we are. This is not our home. This is not our final resting place. He says, literally, in his case, he was among the exiles. But I can relate to him going, yeah, I, I, I feel like an exile sometimes, and I think it's supposed to be that way. In the environment that we're in, we are the exiles. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the, of the exile of King Jehoiakim. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was upon him. Lord, that your hand may be upon us. Amen. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. 
So there's lightning and brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal. And in the, in the fire was what looked like four living creatures <laughs> encased in the fire. In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight. Their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Trying to paint a picture here, right? Can you imagine seeing what, what Ezekiel saw and try to relay it to anybody? I, I can't imagine, and, I, and, and I'm sure, although the, obviously the Scripture is inspired, I can't imagine that it's anywhere close to what it actually looked like. How do you describe the very presence of God? How do you indicate what something looked like when it's this incredible? Verse 8, under their wings on the four sides they had the hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. And one of the translations said that each one went forward. So I decided, for those of you who are in the Acts class, I decided to look up the word forward in the Hebrew. And, and I, was, <laughs> I was completely surprised by what I found. I was expecting to find the word like, um, in the Hebrew, Strong's number 5265, NASA, N-A-S-A, NASA. And it means it's a direction of going forward. Examples were Samson, when he went out and took the gates, he literally pulled up the gates and the bar and walked it out of the city. He went forward. Another example was in Numbers 11, when God sent a wind from heaven. And it, it's the one that blew the quail to the uh, grumbling, complaining Israelites. And they had enough quail and meat till it came out their nose, right? That, we all remember that story. I was expecting a word like that, more of a directional word. Because it says that they went straight ahead. They went forward. One of the translations is forward. But the word I got instead was something different. It was actually this word. DJ, if you can do the PowerPoint on that one. It was actually the word paneum. 6440 out of the Strong's. I, and it's a little bit technical, so I'm just going to walk through it because we're students of the Bible here, right? It's plural, but it's always used as singular. In the Greek, if you have a, I mean, if, in the Hebrew, if you have an I-M, I-U-M, it tends to indicate a plurality of a word. Elohim, H-I-M at the end, right? It means plural. But in this case, just like Elohim, it's a plural word, but it's always used singularly. Elohim is talking about the oneness of God. It's a plural word, but it means one. It's like a echad, where there's a pluralness, but there's such a singleness of purpose that it counts as one. It's a, it's a unity of an unused noun. The faith. Everybody say the faith. the faith. As the part that turns. Has a lot of other applications. Sometimes when you see the word Moses went before the Lord. It's actually this word, paneum. Um, another word that's, that's this word is actually in the temple, they would have the bread of God's presence. The showbread is the paneum. Can I tell you how surprised I was to find that that was the word here for straight ahead? That was the word for forward or straight ahead that was used here. Was <laughs> We're going to go towards his face. 
And then I thought about it and went, oh my gosh. It washed over me. That not only does God want to direct our lives and He will send us in whatever direction we need to and if we're just obedient, although our orientation may feel differently, He is never turning. He is always going forward. There's something I believe, and, and, and some of you may know it better, in medical, medical uh, uh, arenas about alert and oriented. Right? You would assess someone and you'd go, they're alert and oriented times zero. They're awake, but they don't know where they are. They don't know who they are. They don't know what just happened. All the way up to a alert and oriented times four, I think. From zero to four. And four means, hopefully, most of us in this room are alert and oriented times four right now. You're awake. You know where you are. You know the time, and you know the event that's going on or that just happened. Right? Hopefully. Some of you guys here at prison may be struggling. But, uh, you know, I got you. I, I see all my people nodding. I know. I know you. Up at, up at 4 o'clock to go to prison. I get it. But, but depending on our alertness and orientation, when God is sending us somewhere, we can get a little bit out of whack. When I hear the services that say, we got a call and we got a commission, let's talk about a shepherd's empty bag, let's talk about covenant ministry, then what I know is that God is trying to get us to move forward in a particular direction. He's trying to get individuals here and us corporately to go somewhere. We have a purpose. It's not only to reach the nations in, min- in missions. Absolutely. It's not only to raise godly families. Absolutely. He's got a divine purpose for each of us and collectively for this church. But you know what I also know? is I know that people get are alert and oriented times zero sometimes and they miss what God has. There were people today in response to the words that came forth who decided that it was probably easier to leave than to respond. In this service today, there may have been some great explanation and some justification. I'm going to say that if there are people here today who heard what they heard during our worship service, and decided not to respond, but they'd rather leave? What emergency could you possibly have that would make you want to leave when God is speaking to you? If, instead of thinking about it directionally, we start thinking here, verse 9 of Ezekiel 1, and the wings touched one another, each went straight ahead. Each of them went straight for the face of God. That wherever God is leading, if we will seek His face if we will seek the bread of His presence, if we will seek Him in a way, then it doesn't matter what direction we actually go, it will always be forward. We will always be going straight ahead, even if things look different. Can I, can I tell you that my life, um, I started off as a school teacher, a music teacher. I got, a, I got multiple degrees in music and music education. Can I tell you how little of that that I use on a daily basis? I mean, I, I mean, I could tell you, I could tell you how to finger an F sharp on a trumpet, like a beast. I can do it. I, I can tell you how to tune a saxophone. I mean, I re- like I know which notes. I know the specific notes on a typical saxophone and what they will be, if they will be sharp or if they will be flat by the specific design of the instrument. I know which ones lean certain ways. I know that. 
Can I tell you how little I use that? <laughs> can, can I tell you um, how, what a great thing it was for me to get into administration uh, in, in high schools and learn all kind of Islic standards and all kind of things that I was supposed to live up to and keep everybody up? Can I, can I tell you how little bit of that I use right now? If you're not careful, you'll look at pieces of your life and you'll think that somehow there's not... It's not as linear as what we would like for it to be. God, I don't understand why I'm here and now you're telling me to come over here. Lord, I don't, t- I don't understand why you brought us up in Baton Rouge and then you sent us to Austin and now to Houston. Sometimes I'm not quite sure I understand that. Could be what I'd say. Instead, I know and I've learned to trust if all I have to do... In one way, I think this is the simplest thing that I can think of. In another way, it's difficult because of our orientation. All I have to do is follow and be obedient. That's all I have to do. If he tells me to go somewhere, I just go. I don't understand. I'm not equipped. I might fail. Yes to all of those. Absolutely. And in my life, I've already made the decision that there is, I have no other choice. I am trying to lay myself on the altar of the Lord daily and go, wherever you say to go, whatever you say to do, I will do. I will go there if it costs me my life. You'll either resurrect me or it costs me my life. What a joy. What an honor. What an easy sacrifice to make for my king. What I want to do is continually seek out the bread of his face, the bread of his presence. Can can I get you to come up here for a second? Yeah. Because, yeah, I'm going to do an example. Don't y'all love Christy? Oh, yeah. Me too. So, in... In, in other cultures, it, it's a little bit weird to say, when I say the bread of his face, it's kind of weird, right? <laughs> the, bre- <laughs> the bread of his face. The bread of his... No, see, I didn't tell her I was going to do this, so she's <laughs> kind of curious. Yeah, right. The bread of his face, uh, you've seen it in other countries where they'll come and they'll kind of kiss each other on the cheek, right? You get both? For all you uh, practicing preaching... It's how to kiss your wife in the middle of a sermon. <laughs> You're welcome. Right? Well, what, what are they really doing? Turn sideways for me. So what are they really doing? There's actually not... It's really... You're going cheek to cheek. You're going the bread of your face to theirs. You're saying, hey, it's a greeting. It's, it's cordial. It's, it can be casual, especially in different places. You see, I always thought growing up it was like a... Um, very high class, right? Oh, darling, right? But when you really look at this, we're saying, Lord, we want to get so close to you. This is is a pretty intimate setting. So I didn't ask any of you people to come up here, right? They're all thankful. Yeah, they're all very thankful. They're like, good, because beer. Thank you. The idea is that we can get close that we can be in close. One of the things that, you know, I mean, let's, let's be real here for a second. So I'm dating my wife uh, many, many moons ago. And we have conversations like, I mean, we're just head over heels in love, right? And I hug her and she's like, oh, I just fit. Just hug her. Just, ah. Oh. There's something about going after intimacy with God. That will fix a lot of other things. I remember 
and this is, I, I realize we have a mixed crowd in here, but I, I just remember how literally I could just kind of, we would just rub cheeks. We would just rub our faces together, kind of just, and how satisfying that was. And in a moment, it's just a hug. It's just contact. Yet in that moment, I'm not sure that anything else on the planet mattered. When I get close to my wife, I'm not sure that any of my other worries even surface at that moment. I think I put them all aside. I think that moment becomes the most important thing. If you're single here, if you're married here, the point I'm trying to get at is not only the physicalness of this, but there's a spiritual connection that God understands. That he's trying to say, I want you up close. I want you to be with me. Because if you just come and if you really seek my face, if you really seek this, then all this disoriented thing that we have going on, and you're not quite sure which way to go, and you're not quite sure which way to step, and you always feel a step behind and a day late and a dollar short and all the other things that we can say, all those things don't matter if you just seek his face. If you just go, even these angelic creatures, each one went straight paneum. When went Eber paneum, they did not turn as they moved. There is no shadow of turning. Turn to Isaiah chapter 30. Is this making any sense to you guys? If you're feeling disoriented, perhaps that it's you're trying to feel what forward feels like. If you get on the, I, I am the worst one to take to like a state fair. I physically cannot handle spinny rides. I'm terrible. Wish I could go. Wish I could jump on there with the kids. I'm not afraid of them. And if I do them, it will not be pretty. Just, it just won't. I just can't. And, and I've always been that way. I just, I, I can't. I'll do a roller coaster, but I can't do like tilt-a-whirl kind of stuff. I can't do the teacups. You know, get all messed up. I get all disoriented. I get all thrown off my balance and I can't uh, be looking for a restroom immediately thereafter. I get disoriented. I can't figure out which way is up. I can't figure out which way is forward. Some of us are walking around in our spiritual life just like that. We're disoriented. And I'm trying to get you oriented so that you can go forward with what God has for you. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21. Uh, let's go back to 19. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. The Bible tells us not to turn to the right or left. But in this neat, here, it doesn't matter whether you turn to the right or left as long as you're hearing your, His voice that directs you. It, whether you choose the right or left in these cases, because you're seeking God's face, He lets you know this is the way. I'm so confused. Perhaps you should hear the words of the Lord to you that says whether this is the way or not. Turn to James chapter 1. I, I referenced it earlier. James chapter 1. Youth is there. I like it. Verse 16. It says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the Word of truth. Everybody say the Word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. Turn to Joshua chapter 23. All the way back to the New Testament. I mean the Old Testament. Joshua. Chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23, and we're going to start in verse 6. It says this, Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Once you really know if you're going after the face of God, if you're really connecting with this paneum, you realize that there's no, there's no turning. There's no shadow of turning because there's no shadow of turning in Him. You know what it does? That characteristic starts to come upon you and there's no shadow of turning. There's no decision that needs to be made whether I'm going to follow what He does. Do you lead me into the fire? Well, then you lead me into the fire. <laughs> oh, King, our God can save us, but even if He doesn't, we're not going to bow a knee to you. It becomes not to matter. We don't need to turn aside and go, why are we in the situation that we're in? We go, I don't care why I'm in the situation that I'm in. Only, Lord, that I find your face. Only, Lord, that I please you, that I come and get close to you because the rest of it doesn't matter as long as I get close to you. As long as I seek your face. <laughs> Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Not only does it give no shadow of turning. It, it's amazing to me how many times I've read through the Bible, how many times I see something like this. We seek the face of God. There's no shadow of turning in Him. But in my everyday life, I never make the correlation that if there's no shadow of turning and I feel like turning, then there's something wrong in me versus the Scripture. I've got to correct what I'm doing Perhaps I'm not really seeking His face, but I'm seeking my own advancement. Perhaps I'm not seeking His face enough and I'm seeking something else. Because in me, there's more than a shadow of turning. My knees are quaking and I want to run and I want to not do what God has put in front of me. But in Him, there's no shadow of turning. How is it that we can read the Bible and not let it evaluate our own heart and be the mirror that we see ourselves and go, that's not what I look like. Wow. I need to correct that and come. If you have a shadow of turning inside of you, then I'm saying seek His face more. You'll find that there's no shadow of turning in Him. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Make straight paths Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Turn a few pages to Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 2. And it says this. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down the gates of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. As I was looking for this passage, I will make level the mountains. Other places it says, I will make the crooked paths straight in different translations. I will make the high places low. In other words, it doesn't matter what the path is. 
if he will go before us and level the mountains before us. Does it matter if he's saying go north or go east? Does it matter if you're going to the left or to the right? If he's going before you, then whatever, wherever you're going, if he's with you, then wherever you're going, he says he will level before you. He will bring those high things down so that you can see clearly the path. Whether you turn to the left or to the right, Isaiah says, you will hear a voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. It's amazing. (laughs) He will have no shadow of turning when we're seeking his face, when we're moving forward. He makes our crooked paths straight. And this God desires intimacy with us. If you have a healthy marriage, there's always a desire for intimacy. There's an appropriate desire for intimacy when you are married. I can't tell you how many people that Christy and I have talked to, and when we counsel someone, when we talk to them about their marriage, if, we, if we're really getting down to it, we're going to find out if their intimacy has been if they've actually been desiring intimacy with each other. She's like, that's none of your business. It might not be. And it's still a sign of health or lack thereof. It just is, folks. How much more, if God has set that in a very natural realm, where people don't even have to love Jesus and understand that there's a need for intimacy, how much more does the God of all creation say, I want you to come and seek my face. I want you to know, what does Matthew say? What were they going to call Jesus? Emmanuel, which means? God with us. I want you to be close to me. I want you to be drawn in. Turn to Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus chapter 24. Is somebody already there? Wow. Good job. I like it when y'all beat me there. Leviticus 24 and verse 5. Take fine flour and bake twelve loaves of bread using two tenths of an ephah for each loaf. Set them in two rows, six in each row on the table of pure gold before the Lord. Along each row put some pure incense as a memorial portion to represent the bread and to be an offering made to the Lord by fire. Look at verse 8. This bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly. This bread is to be set out before. The word there, paneum. It's supposed to be set out before Him regularly. Sabbath after Sabbath on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant. It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in a holy place because it is a most holy part of their regular share of the offerings made to the Lord by fire. Yes, these are rituals. Yes, these are traditions. Yes, these are specifics that God gave to the people of Israel. But do you understand what we're coming from this perspective now? Coming and understanding that there is a paneum, that there is a bread of His presence, that we're seeking His face... These are all the same words. We'll translate them a certain way that was before the Lord. Or they went straight ahead. And this is the underlying word that's there. And we start seeing 
perhaps it even speaks something a little bit differently than it does on the surface. Perhaps there's a little bit something more underneath it that says, are we seeking His face? Are we seeking the bread of His presence? Turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, starting in verse 34. It says this, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Not only to do, but to finish as well. Do you not say, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. (laughs) Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits. When we're seeking God's face, you're going to find that the work has already been done. He's already gone before you to make the level to make level the paths before you. Turn to Psalms chapter 34. Verse 4. Let's go back to verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Their faces are never, Gabriel, never covered with shame. Those who look to Him are radiant. What does that remind us of? That reminds us of Moses going up and being in God's presence. (laughs) At that point, he couldn't see His face. He couldn't look into His face. The best he could do was look as God passed by him. But when He came down, what was happening? He had to put a veil on because He was radiant from being with God. Are you radiant? Are you and I radiant today? Are we actually literally glowing with the presence of God? Are we? Are you? When you go out to work tomorrow, are you going to be radiant? Is it going to be obvious that maybe even if you're an unschooled and unlearned man, that you've been with someone like Jesus? Wasn't that the moniker that the disciples carried? How are these yokels doing what they're doing? It's the same way I feel in my life. I'm not sure that I'm at all qualified to do the things that God asked me to do, except that I'm going to just say yes to Him, whatever He says. I'm just going to do it. And I figure if I say yes, then He'll make me what I need to be. It's not even my pressure. It's not even the pressure that's on me. If I just do what He says, and I just go where He says, then I figure He's going to do something. It's not on us. I say this not as to placate anything or anyone. I'm telling you that Pastor Eric, Pastor Matt, and I, we often sit around and go, God, I'm not sure that we're enough for what's coming up. And yet, we're going to go forward and we're going to preach 
like the Apostle Paul. We're just going to go forward and go, you're enough. I may not be enough, but you're enough. And I figure if I seek your presence, I might even be radiant enough to convince somebody and to open someone's eyes just because of His presence. Don't let all the insecurities in our thoughts, in our lives, keep us from advancing forward. Whatever direction that may be, don't let it stop you from accomplishing. If God continually speaks to us as a church and we don't listen, what happens? (laughs) He uses all those words instead of it being glorious in our life. It is the very thing that will call judgment to come in our lives. If I, tell my, if, if I don't tell my son Gabriel something and he doesn't do it the way I wanted, I can fuss at him. Eh. Maybe there's a little bit more grace. If I specifically told him what to do and he decided not to do it, then what grace can there be left? You knew and chose not to do it. Therefore, punishment comes. Yes? <laughs> Just checking. It's, not, it's easy when we're talking about it between an adult and a child. What about us and the Father? If He tells you to do it, and if you step forward, He'll empower you. If you're waiting for Him to empower you before you do it, you're going to miss it. If you're going to wait for the waters to recede before the Levites step out into it, you're going to miss it. Oftentimes in the kingdom. Step because He told you to step. But, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk right into a river at flood stage, Joshua. Then walk right into the river at flood stage. Be obedient. What do you want me to, I, there's, Why do we come so hard at you guys as a church? Because we feel like this church has a call on it. Because we feel like many of you are called in the ministry. We feel like that we're raising up people who are going to make an impact in the kingdom. Therefore, I cannot stand here and give you any excuse. I cannot allow you to use any excuse in your life. You know why? Because it will just keep you from doing what God wants you to do. It will just be an excuse for you not to get in His presence and not to seek His face. And I don't want to be held accountable for that. What, what more does He need to tell us before we'll go forward? What more does He need to do? Turn to Luke chapter 12. And we're wrapping this up. Luke chapter 12. This is one of my favorite verses of late. Luke chapter 12, verse 32 says this. Let's retract it just a little bit. Let's go to 22 instead. That's where I'm going to end up is 32, but I'm going to back up just a little bit. Then Jesus said to His disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, or what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you? You are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? We all know that the medical studies have been done. The more you worry, the more hours it takes off of your life. You actually are killing yourself by worrying, by fretting. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? You can't even add to your own life. If we could add to our life, we would. He's like, you can't even do that. 
Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will He clothe you? How much more will the God of all creation clothe you with righteousness? How much will He clothe you with what you need? That He has given you everything you need for life and godliness. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things. After all such things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. It pleases the God of all creation to give to His little flock the keys to the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When it says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Um, On Friday, um, Steve is up in Dallas with Dee Dee. He gave Pastor Matt power of attorney. Um, those, so many of you in here helped us move Steve and Dee Dee the other day. I love my church. I love that on, what night was that? Was that Tuesday? God, they all blur together. I can't even keep straight my days. I'm sorry. So Tuesday evening, 40 of you. 40. Right, Cody? It was a lot of us. A lot of stuff. <laughs> 40 of us decided we were going to help. I know others of you, I know there are many others who, who, who would have been there. But 40 people came to move our friends. On Friday, Steve closed on the house. But Steve was in Dallas with Didi. How's he going to do that? What he did was he signed the power of attorney over to Pastor Matt. And in that moment, Matt Pirro was the equivalent to Steve Richards. Whatever Matt signed was as if Steve signed. Whatever Matt decided was now what Steve decided. Whatever Matt agreed to is now what Steve agreed to. Perhaps it's the Lord when He's saying, it's pleasing me to give you the kingdom. Perhaps He's saying this. (laughs) When you seek My face and you're close to Me, I will literally give you the power of attorney from Himself. That the God of all creation says, Matt, Alex, Mr. Fred, when you ask something in my name, it's as if he's asking for it. If you walk up to someone and pray over them, perhaps if we actually believe this and we actually did it the way it says, if he's really been pleased to give us the kingdom, isn't he saying, I'm giving you my power of attorney? What I do... I now give you the authority to do. What I say, I now give you the authority to say. If I can heal, you now have the power to heal. Why? Because not me, because I represent. The one that I represent, I have his... Do you all understand where I'm going with this? I realize if you push the power of attorney further, it's just a metaphor here. But do you understand where I'm going? If I want to seek His face so that I can do what He did. 
I want to seek His face so that I can accomplish the work that He intends for me to accomplish. And you know what else? If He gives me something to accomplish, I'm going to pick on Nick. If God gives Nick something to accomplish and Nick doesn't accomplish it, I'm going to say, God, you go ahead and give me that too. I, I want to accomplish. I want to be the guy with the two talents that multiplies it. I want to be the guy with the five talents that multiplies it. And what happens to the guy with the one? He took it and gave it to the guy who had ten. The people who were operating the way that the Father wanted continue. He's going to accomplish His purpose, folks. Will He use you to do it? Will He use me to do it? Am I going to seek His face enough? Am I going to seek His presence enough where I can do much more than I'm supposed to be able to do? Don't we love the underdog story? Don't you love the, the, the Rudy guy who's not big enough or strong enough to play college football and he finally makes it because of his great heart? Ah, oh, it's a tearjerker. Or it's just the story of the kingdom. He's always using the Davids to kill the Goliaths. He's always using this small nation called Israel to, to make His presence known to the world. He's always using the church in Ephesians 3 to make His manifold wisdom known to this world. He always uses the small to defeat the weak. I, I feel small. but I'm going to learn how to operate with His authority. Would you guys stand with us?